You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and researcher at MLB.com, joined by Matt Myers, MLB.com National Content Editor. Today is Thursday, November 9th. The offseason is in full swing. And of course, all anybody wants to talk about is small ball and bunting, which we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about all the comments that came out of Yankees Media Day and how everybody seems to want to be the Diamondbacks now for some reason. We're going to talk about what's going to be ahead in this uh, hot stove. I feel like we're going to see a lot of trades. We'll talk about trades. We'll talk about managers, first basemen. And third, we're going to talk about where every team begins the offseason. It's not just the rosters they had to end the year. Obviously, teams have lost players to free agency. So we're going to look into where everybody has to go over this winter's hot stove. Matt, how many bunts do you expect the Yankees to put down next year? (laughs) Here's the brief backstory for those who didn't hear. Uh, The Yankees had a media day the other day. They were the final team to do like their end of season media availability. And general manager Brian Cashman went kind of off on uh, his defensive analytics, which I think he's mostly right about. And then there were comments that came out that said Aaron Boone wants to prioritize bunting more and that Aaron Judge wants to prioritize batting average and RBI. And I certainly hope that the 1975 Yankees have a good year next year. Where do you start with this, Matt? The Yankees had a weird one, right? It was it was a, it was a series of things. It was in the course of a day. I think Hal Steinbrenner and Brian Cashman had availability, and Hal talked about Baron Boone having a premonition about wanting to bunt more, and then Cashman went on a rant about analytics with with some expletives, and then apparently Aaron, Aaron Judge is now involved in making decisions. So, um, and it's it's. It's just funny, mostly because the Yankees have been like so buttoned up for so long to see like cracks in the the armor, so to speak. I think is is just just as an outsider, just sort of surprising to see this kind of talk, and it's a bit strange too, right? Where like if you had gone into the season and been like, okay, Carlos Rodon barely going to pitch, and Aaron Judge is going to miss a bunch of time. How many games the Yankees gonna think the Yankees are gonna win? You might have said like eh, 80, 85 games. And, and Rizzo and Nestor Cortez. Like it wasn't just those two guys, right? Like injuries. And you know, partially you can point to Brian Cashman and say, well, you put together the roster full of guys who tend to get injured. That's totally fair. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right about that. And I want to offer like a very mild, lukewarm defense of Aaron Boone here. So correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think Aaron Boone is actually there, didn't get quoted. This is all like secondhand statements of like what he's feeling. Um, So Hal Steinbrenner said this, and I quote, I think Aaron Boone thinks we're not teaching young players to bunt enough. A few years ago in player development, we cut back on bunting skills. So Aaron Boone feels it's becoming a bigger part of the game. Uh, So we're going to start right up again. And while I disagree on it becoming a bigger part of the game, I I think it's fair that like if that's a tool you want in your toolkit, that you want the players to know how to do it. Like there are so many times where people be like, why didn't that guy bunt? It was a perfect opportunity for a bunt. And the answer that you don't hear is he hasn't bunted in like eight years. He has no idea how to bunt. Bunting isn't easy, no matter how many times people say it is. So it's like, if you want, you know, not judge, not Stan, but I don't know, Oswald Peraza to come up knowing how to lay one down. I, I can respect that. I think that's fair. And I mean, it's it's hard to know. I mean, it's also hard to know if what Steinbrenner is saying is like an actual reflection. And it's like in the, it's a little bit of a game of telephone, right? I mean, I do think you know 
listeners of this podcast are well aware of probably where we stand on this of just like generally speaking the impacts of bunt are wildly overstated and generally not a good strategic move at least sacrifice bunts i i do love me a good drag bunt for a hit but those are those are more those are those are surprise moves or those are certain players in certain moments that can execute them you don't want aaron judge bunting for a hit um especially now that the shift the shift is there was a time when like when the shift when the shift was uh, allowed where there were times with a with a with a slugger at the plate if it was open that wasn't a bad play but there's no more shift anymore so or at least not such that the half the field is wide open um, so I don't really know I, I, it's hard to imagine the Yankees are going to go into next year and suddenly starting to bunt a lot more because like no matter what people say and it seems like there's a lot of conversation about this home runs there's pretty strong evidence that home runs are what win games yeah there's been a lot of this offseason's been kind of bizarre. It's only like a week into the offseason. So I say like a whole offseason. You're already hearing teams like really starting to talk about this. So new White Sox hitting coach Marcus Thames, who uh, was the Yankees hitting coach from 2017 to 21, and then Marlins and Angels last two years. So he got hired by the White Sox. And he said, and I quote, I think the game has come to a point, <clears throat> excuse me, where situational hitting has become a lost art until the postseason. And then you see teams trying to bunt and hit and run and stuff like that during the postseason. And I think what's happening here is people watched Arizona get to the World Series when they were like an, an undergunned team for the most part. And they're, in my opinion, uh, taking the wrong lessons from what Arizona did, right? Like you look at Arizona as a team. They won 84 games. Eh, fine. They were the sixth playoff seed. They had the 15th most runs scored. You know, they didn't bump their way to the playoffs. And in the postseason... I'm trying really hard not to take away from a team that just went to the World Series, right? But the Dodgers had no starting pitchers and the Brewers didn't have any starting pitchers and they went nine and seven in October. That's the thing. They didn't blow their way through and like dominate. Every they went nine and seven and I get it. They went to the World Series. The Dodgers didn't. The Braves didn't. I didn't. Fine. But like to look at the Diamondbacks and say, yeah, they were successful because they bunted. I don't know if you remember this, Matt. I remember number three hitter Gabriel Moreno dropping down a bunt in the World Series and it not working out. These are the wrong lessons to be learned here. Not only that, they out homer the Brewers and won the series. They out homer the Dodgers nine to one and won the series. <laughs> nine to one. They were out homered by the 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 Phillies in the LC, in the LCS. They were out homered and they still won the series. Um, that said, in the entirety of the playoffs, that was the only series this year. That was the only single one where the team that hit fewer home runs won the series. <laughs> Right, and then the Rangers obviously hit a lot more homers than than the than the I think it was eleven to five in the World Series um, than the D backs. So, I mean, it it's funny because like it's weird for me to hear pitching hitting coaches say these things because I think as a fan, when when fans say when I hear fans say like, oh, I wish there were fewer home runs, I wish there was more hit and run, I wish there was more action on the base pass. From like an aesthetic view, from an aesthetic standpoint, that makes perfect sense. I do think. It'd be nice if there was more variety in the types of offenses that succeeded, and that we, when we watch baseball games, you could have debates over like what's a better way to win. But like right now, with the way the game is, with pitchers so good missing so many bats, it's really hard to put together rallies of like multiple singles. You really have to, you really have to win with short sequence offense. So aesthetically, I get it, but for a hitting coach, it's like no, actually, hitting coach, you should be teaching your guys to hit dingers. <laughs> One of the like top rules of life, whether it's in sports or careers or anything, is if you have an enemy, a competitor, an opponent, like whatever, 
don't do things where they will be likely very happy about it, right? Because if I'm some of these other teams, if I'm the Rays, if I'm the Orioles, great example, and I hear that the Yankees might play more small ball next year, I'm like, yes, I'm doing <laughs> cartwheels around Camden Yards. I will leave with this, though. I'll give Aaron Judge uh, the benefit of that on one thing. While I strongly disagree that any team should be prioritizing batting average and RBI, it is fair to note that the Yankees had the 29th best or second worst batting average ahead of only Oakland. And even I cannot justify that, right? That has to improve. You do not win games with the second worst batting average in baseball. I think that's fair enough. It's going to be a real weird and interesting offseason here in New York for both teams. I can't wait. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. We are back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petrillo and Matt Myers. We got a couple of off-season topics we want to get to. And the first one that really stands out to me is like, what kind of hot stove are we going to see? It's not a great free agent market. Obviously, Shohei Otani will take up all the oxygen in the room for sure. The, the market for hitters is super weak. I think there's a lot of questions about Cody Bellinger and Matt Chapman. The market for starting pitchers is better. But I think what's going to happen here, uh, between the weakish market, between the number of teams who are going to have some amount of financial questions because of the RSN upheaval that's going on, you're going to see trades. Like I think you're going to see a lot of trades. And I think if you're a team that has a a good starting pitcher to trade and you don't necessarily think you're going to contend like right now, I made a list, right? Contending teams that need multiple starting pitchers include the Dodgers, Orioles, Padres, Red Sox, Mets, Cardinals, Reds, Giants, Diamondbacks, and then teams like the Yankees, Cubs, Phillies need at least one. And I certainly didn't name everybody. So it's like, I think trades are going to be the story of the offseason. Yes, Juan Soto for sure. But like Dylan Cease, Glasnow, Shane Bieber, Corbin Burns, I, I think there's a lot of interesting fits there, not only with the teams I just mentioned, but like, you know, you look at the Reds and Orioles, like these younger win now or soonish teams who have more young infielders than they know what to do with. You cannot staff all these guys, move them to trade a, to, to find solve a situation elsewhere. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. I've long thought that the we're going to be the team that kind of dictated this offseason um, because they generally have a the history of trading guys before they hit free agency. Um, and this year they happen to have three three key players entering their last year of club control of last year of arbitration before they go to free agency. Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and William Adamas. And Burns is like – and then there's not to mention the whole manager of people thing, which we'll talk more about a little bit. But like 
on the trade market, I think they Woodruff's hurt. He's going to miss most of, if not all, of next year, and they 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 have to decide whether or not they want to offer him tender him a contract. I could see them trading him and to another team who's like, I want to tender him a contract, or maybe work out a multi year deal with like options and opt out incentives. That'll be an interesting story to monitor in the next week. But Corbin Burns, like for the reasons you mentioned. I think the Brewers are kind of going to blow things up a little bit because they have a lot of good young position player talent coming up to the system, but like they're going to need to reset, if not this year, then next year because they're not going to resign Corbin Burns. I think we it's fair to say they're not going to resign him. Almost certainly not going to resign Willie Adamas. At this point, Woodruff, you don't know what you have. So Burns, I mean, it would be shocking to me if he's not in a different uniform on opening day, and he's one of the best pitchers. He pitched well the second half of the season. One of the best pitchers in baseball. Like, that's how you rebuild a farm system right there, trading a guy like that. So to me, that's like first and foremost, maybe more so than Juan Soto, just because like I'm certain he's going to get – I'll never say you know, 100%, but like I'm way more certain he's going to be traded than, than Juan Soto. I would agree with that. And then if you, if you do trade Corbin Burns, are you trading Devin Williams, right? Devin Williams has one extra year, so he's not a free agent until after 2025. One of the best relievers in baseball. It's sort of hard to count on relievers long term, right? So you almost wonder, like, well, if we don't have Burns and Woodruff, should we trade Devin Williams? I mean, do you think the Orioles don't need Devin Williams? The Mets, the Dodgers? I, I shouldn't even name teams. Who is the team who doesn't need Devin Williams? They all do. And I'm with you. Like, I don't want to be. I don't want to sit here and say, man, it, I hope the Brewers blow it up and lose 110 games next year. You know, because that's not what I want. They've they've been a really good story for the last decade, but. For the first time in years, they are at a real inflection point, right? Car- uh, Council's gone. David Stearns is gone. Uh, uh, Woodruff is injured. It just this is the the way it turns over. I think is now, and I, I think you're right. I think it's going to happen this winter. It will be interesting to see because, like you know, you mentioned Stearns. Like the Mets are a team that's very much like looking to make moves that needs pitching, and you you wonder is this going to be one of those situations where Stearns is like, hey, like I know these guys. I can make a deal, or maybe it's like in some ways it makes it more awkward where they feel like they're too worried that they, they know each other too well that they like are going to be because I could see it's I could see it going either way, right? Where it's like, oh, we have this relationship, we know how to talk to each other, we'll make a deal, or is it kind of like I don't I don't want to get end up getting fleeced long term by this guy I used to work with for many years and almost look like egg on my face because I look like I don't know how to evaluate my own my own talent, but that's like the storyline to watch because in many ways that's like an obvious. They're trade, they are obvious trade partners in a lot of ways because the Mets have a lot of really good prospects close to the majors who would theoretically be the type of players that the Brewers would value. Uh, our friend and colleague Mark Feinstein is working on an all-trade rumor team where he basically picked an interesting trade candidate at each position. Um, there, there's a couple of interesting names on this list. Juan Soto, obviously. There were two guys that he mentioned that I thought were perfect because I'm like, again, I won't say 100%, 99.98% sure that they're going to get traded. Uh, Jonathan India from the Reds and Alex Verdugo from the Red Sox. And neither one of them are like, you know, needle movers, game changers, but they're both like solid young veterans who are still in their 20s. Um, the Reds just have so many infielders. And I know there's a lot of stories like India's the, you know, kind of in the heartbeat of the clubhouse, and that's fine. I'm not dismissing that. They just don't have enough places to play all these guys. They desperately need starting pitching. It that is the guy you trade. And then in Boston, I mean Alex Verdugo didn't have a great year last year. Got benched a couple of times. It really seems like a change of scenery guy. It's funny. Uh, you could, I guess, probably not. I was going to say, could you just flip them? Because the Red Sox really, really need a second baseman. Like, really desperately badly need a second baseman. I guess uh, Verdugo is not really the player that the Reds need. They need pitching. But those are the two guys who stood out for me from that list. I mean, India is interesting because 
he's also under club control for three more seasons, whereas Verdugo is a free agent after next year. Uh, it would be a fun kind of like a challenge trade if they end up getting flipped for each other. But to your point, I think, I mean, India, I think um, he is the kind of player that probably the there's probably I would say there's a wide opinion on what he brings because like statistically he's pretty good not great you know some might say average maybe tick above like but there's this you know this like last year when it was suggested he got traded Kurt noted Reds fan Kurt Hertzring when <laughs> bananas <laughs> on social media saying how could you trade this guy he's the clubhouse leader um, which I I mean I, I, it was funny just because of the outrage but like there's obviously something to it and the certain clubs will value that more than others we'll say like oh this guy is a, a very solid player and we think that he's a winning player and we want him on our team and maybe see that opportunity where it's like the Reds kind of are in a bind. They kind of don't really have a spot for him and maybe there's an opportunity to get him. Not like you're going to get him for, I mean, not that the, his trade value is not just that he would command like a, a top 50 prospect to begin with. So it's like, Hey, we want this guy. We value him more than everyone else. We think that there's like something here that will be good for, for our, for our clubhouse. I want to uh, throw out something else to you too. The starting pitching options I mentioned are mostly veterans either entering their walk year or within two years, right? Sees glass now, Bieber burns. Um, I feel like there's going to be opportunity for a team who has young starting pitching to move and try to get something like really good for a guy you can control for like three or four years. And the problem is if you have guys like that, you mostly don't want to trade them. There's not that many teams who fit that description, but do the Seattle Mariners fit that description? Like, does is Logan Gilbert wearing Dodger blue or I don't know Orioles orange or whatever? Like that just Jerry Depoto always has something up his sleeve, right? That feels like something he could do to get a bat he desperately needs. The Orioles are the other team that's like an obvious. You know they have all these great young position players. They need high end pitching. They didn't go out and sign a big free agent pitcher last year. And like you know I won the sign Carlos Rodon based on Carlos Rodon season. Probably they were wise not to. I mean. He's got a few more years in that deal. Maybe it'll turn out. So, like, they're the team to watch because they can, they could, they are, they could swing a trade for a Logan Gilbert easily with some of the prospects that they have, and they, their system almost wouldn't even feel it. Um, they also have one of the lowest payrolls in the game, so they also could go out and be like, you know, we're going to sign Aaron Nola or Blake Snell or Aaron Nola and Blake Snell. Like, so like, there's a lot of different ways it could go, but. I kind of think they're going to go the trade route because I think most likely this is just this is my speculation, but that they're the kind of team that's like, yeah, we could go sign free agents, but we also have this core of players we want to keep around, and if we want to sign Adley Rutschman to an extension and Garner Henderson to an extension, um, those are obviously the first two names that come to mind. Um, those are going to get expensive pretty quickly, so I'm not sure though. I think they're more likely to kind of value extending their own players as opposed to. Um, as opposed to going out and signing free agents, although one and then there is the one Orioles name who's not one of their one of their young prospects who finds Sand mentions, and that's Anthony Santander, who is a free agent after this year, who's a pretty good player. Who I think he wouldn't bring you back a Logan Gilbert straight up, but like he could be a piece that gets you something good. The problem is a rebuilding team doesn't really want Anthony Santander. So maybe more of like a deal of like what we're talking about of like, hey, we're a pretty good team who has this piece. We'll trade you one veteran. You may need a veteran bat. We need a veteran, good vet, red veteran, like number three starter or, or you know, setup man. And that, that might be a, a match there, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, our second topic, we had to talk about the managerial merry-go-round. Uh, Craig Council's a cub. 
didn't see that one coming. That was a really, really entertaining like 25 minutes when Ken Rosenthal reported Craig Council has picked a team and that team already has a manager. And everybody did the mental exercises of, wait, I'm sorry, what? Which which team is throwing their guy overboard? It turns out it was the Cubs with David Ross. Uh, the Angels have hired Ron Washington. The Guardians have hired Stephen Boat. The Mets hired Carlos Mendoza. My dad and my uncle keep asking me who that is. I uh, hope you guys are listening. I still don't know, but we're all going to figure it out together. As uh, of the moment we're recording, the Padres, Astros, and Brewers are all searching for a manager. Um, it seems like Joe Espada is probably going to get the Astros job, but the fact that he hasn't might say something about that. Let me ask you about Council because his statements when he got hired made it clear that uh, he views managers uh, in, in terms of being like free agents, like players, which I think makes a ton of uh, sense. And you know, he he kind of broke the managerial salary scale. Yet at the same time, uh, he got the same similarish contract to, as I saw someone say on Twitter, like James McCann. <laughs> he's not getting paid like he's Shohei, um, which like good for him. You know, he's he's certainly earned the right. So it, I never thought we'd spend this much time talking about managerial moves, but the last couple of days have been wild. It was kind of low key the way it went down because usually, like what usually happens, the industry standard is like when a you know, a successful or quote unquote good manager enters the last year of their contract, they say like, oh, I, I want an extension. And usually they get it, right? That's kind of what happens because they're like, oh, I don't want to be a lame duck. I don't want to manage as a lame duck. And I've always thought that was a little overstated, frankly. Um, and I think Craig Castle kind of just proved it because he managed, he was like, no, I'm going to go to free agency. And there was speculation, oh, he might sit out a year. Um, no, he did not sit out a year. Um, he went to a division rival and he actually, you know, he went, Went the free agency route, which is like we don't really see managers do very often. I honestly can't remember another example of this really happening like this, where a in demand for, for like manager saw. His, I'm sure it has happened, but like saw his contract expire and then went and took a job with a new team basically immediately as soon as the season season ended. I mean, I the, the question for me is more just like obviously Council is like he's a known quantity, and I think the floor is pretty high. It's just like how much, how good is he? I mean, I think I remember like 538 did an analysis, and this was like 10 years ago of like managers being like plus worth plus or minus two wins. I think that's right. I also, I think he's very good. Um, I think he's very well respected with the bullpen. I think he's a step up over David Ross. Uh, I liked David Ross, but, you know, Council is probably more well-regarded. question is how good are the Cubs going to be? Right? <laughs> I mean, they, they didn't make the playoffs last year. I know they had a collapse in September. Uh, and at the moment, they don't have Cody Bellinger. They don't have Marcus Stroman. Obviously, they will go out and add players. Uh, but I, I think it's kind of an open question as to, you know, people see that contract and they think, oh, well, Cubs are open for business. We're going to get Otani. Bellinger and Aaron Nola. And I just, I don't think it's going to work that way. So it's, they need to improve the roster. If the roster is improved, then he will look like a star. And if not, then he will not look like a star. Um, it's, it's as simple as that. I know that when the Cubs go into Milwaukee next year, I'll be very excited to watch those games. That's going to be interesting because some of the comments out of Milwaukee made it clear that uh, maybe he's not the local hero anymore. Awkward. It is definitely awkward, especially the fact that he went to the division rival. But the flip side is, right, like you, you – leading up to this decision, one of the big talking points when everyone thought it was going to be Milwaukee or New York was, oh, Craig Council, he's from, you know, just north of Milwaukee. Um, his dad used to work for the Brewers. He wants – he's going to want to stay close to home. And what no one considered was like, okay, there's another major league team in a quote-unquote big market that's pretty close to home. Like – if you know, for those who are not well versed in geography, Milwaukee and Chicago were like 
two hour drive apart. Um, and so he basically is like, I don't want to say having his cake and eating it too, but maybe like he gets, he gets to stay pretty close to home. He gets the trappings of a big market. And to the extent that he can remember like, baseball season's pretty busy he will be able to sort of see his you know see his sons play college baseball and be close to his family so like good for him good for him but you know what he better win (laughs) he better win at our final topic here um i think this was expected but it's nice to see it confirmed the phillies have noted that bryce harper will remain a first baseman last year uh coming back from his tommy john he was a dh at first couldn't really throw so they put him at first base and Two things, right? First of all, credit to him. He did very well, like learning this midseason. Um, it's not an easy position to learn out of nowhere. And he, he did pretty well by all indications, all metrics. And then there's this whole ripple effect where it made the Phillies defense so much better because now he's playing first base and you can get Schwarber at DH because Schwarber is one of the weakest outfielders in baseball. Uh, you got Rojas and Pache and March in the outfield. And like it made such an improvement on the Phillies defense that it was difficult for me to see them ever going back. And not only that, um, Harper, as difficult as this is for me to believe, it's going to turn 32 years old next year. That's not possible. It doesn't feel like it's okay. I think this is going to be a sixth season with the Phillies already. Like I thought he just signed that deal. Um, it, it felt like, you know, even from when he signed the deal, he was probably not going to be an outfielder forever. Moving to first base seemed like it would make sense at some point. I don't think everybody thought it would happen in exactly this way. So this makes sense. And then, the, you know, the secondary aspect of this is, Reese Hoskins is not going to be back. Um, I did read that Dave Dombrowski, when this decision was made, actually called Hoskins directly and said, listen, this is the deal. We love you. We respect you. But at this point, Harper's playing first base. We may not have room for you to come back. He's a free agent, which I respect that. I think that's a nice thing to do. Um, But it does seem that's an unexpected way for Hoskins' Philadelphia career to most likely come to an end. Yeah, I mean his his first year with the Phillies, he came up midseason 2017. He He played 50 games hit 18 homers in 50 games and finished fourth in the rookie of the year voting. He was a great story. He's turned out to be more of like a good, not great player. Um, but he will be an interesting player to kind of watch in the free agent market because I think that like he's got power. He's like a known, it's kind of a known quantity. Um, I think there's, there will be, there will be, um, and there's not a ton of power, power hitting on the market. So I think he will be in reasonable demand, especially now that all 30 teams have a, a DH spot to employ. I will say, and I think we're in disagreement on the Scott Boris pun game every year at the GM meetings and the and the winter meetings. When Scott Boris first started doing the pun thing, I couldn't stand it. But now that he's been doing it for a few years now and he's he's kind of in on the joke, I kind of like it. <laughs> and I see Mike shaking his head at me. I like. I thought his one yes was Reese's pieces will fit any team's puzzle. I thought that was some of his better work. His heart's not in it anymore, man. I, I'm the exact opposite. When he first started doing it, I was like, "Oh, this is funny. This is clever." Does he have someone in his office writing these puns? Almost certainly, yes. And the last year or two, it's almost been like, "Well, checking the box. You know, got to make some puns." <laughs> Uh, the I don't know the the Monty Hall one like a totally up to date reference. <laughs> that, was, that, that was that was a disaster because Monty Hall <laughs> he was like talking about Jordan Montgomery as like the as like the merchandise, but Monty Hall is the host. That was a total mixed metaphor. Should, that one did, should I <laughs> pick a different door to get another pitcher? Like I don't know. that one did not work at all. That was his maybe the worst one ever. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I, I disagree with you a little bit about Hoskins just because there's a lot of right-handed DH types, right? J.D. Martinez is a free agent. 
Uh, Justin Turner is a free agent much older than Hoskins, yes, but probably still better bet. So I think that market's going to get a little bit crowded. And what I'm trying to say is I'm very excited for Reese Hoskins to hit 42 home runs for the Rockies next year and then get traded after that. Yes, Rockies talk. We'll be right back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimension podcast, Mike Pitrill and Matt Myers. One thing I like to do each year is uh, to look at where every team's roster starts the offseason. And I think for a lot of people, that's just, well, what was the record last year? That's where they start the season now. And it's just, it's not true. Obviously, a lot of things happened over the course of last season, but also players are free agents now, you know? So you can look at the Cubs, for example, and look at what they did in 2023, but Cody Bellinger is no longer employed by the Cubs. Marcus Stroman is no longer employed by the Cubs. So you only can really look at what you have now and what holes you need to fill and not worry about the fact that, you know, the Padres had Josh Hader last year and Blake Snell. They don't know. So it doesn't matter. So the way I did this was I looked at uh, our friends at Fangraphs who helpfully have uh, up-to-date depth charts and using projections from Steamer, you can kind of look through and say, well, who's, who's looking great and who's not? And I'm not going to read you all 30 because I wrote way too many words about it on the site that you can go look at. You'll be shocked to know the Braves are number one. The Rockies are last. Uh, Matt, there were a couple teams that stood out to me that I want to highlight to you. The, the first one that really stood out to me was that uh, the Astros are rated number two. And I feel like this might be I don't want to say the last hurrah, but I feel like they're going to be very good this year because they're not really losing free agents, you know, a couple of relievers, Martin Maldonado. But they have some real questions upcoming about Bregman and Altuve being free agents after this year, Kyle Tucker a year after that. So it's like 2024, even though they don't have a manager yet, is a huge deal. I was surprised at number two, though. I was surprised by that as well. And I mean, for Altuve, it's also just like age right like it's can he how long can he keep doing this maybe he is just that good it's also just so hard to project you know like there are certain player archetypes that are a little easier to project than others his is like they're really like he's a little bit of a one of a kind so it's hard to know like maybe he just is that much of an outlier um but in i mean they have between him and tucker and alvarez they have three like superstar hitters which most teams don't have and then bregman's still a pretty good player so i i it's gonna. I agree with you. It's gonna be a good team. Um, the the two definitely surprised me. I mean, there was a few of them that surprised me. I want to hear. I want to hear another one that that surprised you, and then I'll I'll share a couple of mine. Uh, the the two that surprised me in terms of lofty ranks, aside from this, were probably the the Yankees um, at seven. And you know, we just talked about them, so I don't want to go too deeply into it. But basically, I think what's happening there is 
you got to expect that Aaron Judge won't have a freak injury again. You got to expect you'll have more from Rodon and more from Kier, um, not Kier, uh, Nestor Cortez, right? Like, better health, I think, is not unreasonable. Do I think they're the seventh best team right now? No. Uh, the other one that stats me is the Cardinals. I My personal ranking would have the Cardinals at like, I don't know, 22, and they're ranked 12th here, which is stunning to me because they have no starting rotation. They need at least three starters, probably some relievers. And what's basically happening here is they have the 22nd best pitching projected and the ninth best position player group, which I, I get it because I think people overlooked the fact that Wilson Contreras is actually pretty good down the stretch last year. I'm, I'm confident that he's going to be good next year. You still got Goldschmidt and Arenado, which is Goldschmidt's 36. I don't really trust Dylan Carlson. I feel like I have more questions about the offense and I have a billion more questions about the pitching. Yeah, the the there was actually Garrett Gould of the St. Louis Post Dispatch yesterday did a piece and he talked about how the, the Cardinals, because they're left handed hitting bats, might be a good fit for the Yankees who need some left handed hitting bats. So I thought that was an interesting one. The Yankees were another team that jumped out to me, going back to our conversation at the beginning of the podcast with the way the sky is falling with the Yankees amongst Yankees fans, like, oh actually they still have a pretty good still have a pretty good roster. And I think that, you know, the injuries last year, I think I you know Cortez is a perfect example. Like, I, honestly, I totally forgot that he missed that much time. And I mean, yes, on the one hand, the best predictor of injury is a future injury is past injury. So you don't want to like bet on too much health, especially with a guy like Rodon. That said, like it's probably not going to be as bad as it was in 2023, and they still should be a pretty good team. But I think it's, I mean, more than anything, it's just a really good exercise of just sort of like reminding yourself, okay, like who is. Who's like who's good, like who who's actually on which team now? Because sometimes we lose we lose sight of that. And it can get a little confusing too, because sometimes guys resign with their team and it almost throws off like, oh, this guy was a free agent. Like if you know last year it was like the Yankees re-signed Judge, but like no, he was a free agent. They did not have him on November first. You kind of have to account for that when you're thinking about how they have to build their roster that offseason. Totally right. Um, as far as a team or two at the other end, a team I was surprised was low. Uh, the Cubs actually come in at 19th, and at first that shocked me. Right? I'm like, what? The Cubs? They're on the way up. And then I remembered, as we just kind of mentioned, they're an 83 win team, and right now they don't have Bellinger or Stroman or Candelario. Like they have a ton of work to do. The other one that surprised me for being this low uh, was the the Reds are 22nd. And I guess I'm not sure if that surprises me as much as I think it should, because there's definitely like the vibes and the helium, right? I'm like, oh, the Reds, exciting, young on the way up. Then you realize their starting rotation was dreadful last year, right? A 543 ERA, that's uh, the third highest. And then you look at their rotation for this upcoming season, like Hunter Green, uh, Andrew Abbott, Graham Ashcraft, like those are three talented pitchers, right? They haven't entirely stayed healthy and productive. They're more, I think, promise than production at this point. And it's kind of the same thing for a lot of the young infielders. Like, Ellie De La Cruz, we have said a million nice things about him. He was a below-average hitter last year. You know, <laughs> like, he needs to make a ton of steps forward. And then you've got all these other guys, like Spencer Steer, like, you know, Nick Senzel, Matt McClain. They're all nice players. But now I look at the Reds' like roster, and like, who do I trust? I don't trust the rotation. I love all the young talent, but that needs to be turned into production. And I guess it's 22 too low, sure, but where would I put them? I don't know. 18th? It's not that low. <laughs> that, the, the, the benefit that they have, right, is that their division is is eminently winnable. And that's like, you know, going back to our Brewers discussion, that's the biggest reason for the Brewers not to blow it up. But like, speaking of the Reds, I think Daniel Cruz is a perfect example, right, where it's like, he looks like he's going to be a superstar and could be. He has the the, the sort of the makings, the tools, but he's got to put it together, right? Then after that hot start, it was pretty underwhelming. And 
Could I see him getting MVP votes next year? Yes. Could I see him being option to Triple A? Yes. Like, there's a lot. the the the, the error bar on Eli De La Cruz's 2024 season is incredibly wide, and that's like it's hard to projections are going to always be a little bit conservative. But like, if he and McLean pop, you could have two like superstars in the middle of the infield or on the left side of the infield. And you're like, oh wow, this is like a great young superstar duo. But it could also be a lot less than that. So I think you know you always want to, especially with a player like De La Cruz, who kind of like you know stretches the imagination. You really want you you want to hope for the best as a baseball fan. But like there is some real downside there. Yeah, I guarantee you, what's going to happen is uh, the Reds are a good example, right? But this could apply to any team. Maybe they'll go out and they'll go nuts and they'll trade for Dylan Cease and Corbin Burns, right? And then they'll win ninety games next year, and people will find this and come back and say, "Oh, you had them rated twenty second. I'm like, that's the whole point. Right now, they don't have those pitchers. Like that's literally the point of the exercise. I'm going to ask you a question that I don't think you'll know the answer to. Of the thirty fan bases, which one was the most annoyed at me for this? Uh, it, it will shock and surprise you. I will, I'll tell you this: not a contending team. Not a team that was actually very good last year. Who did I hear oh, the most from? Uh, hold on, I'm going to eyeball this very quickly. Well, this is, uh, I'm going to say it is the Royals. Uh, no, actually not. The 28th ranked Washington Nationals. People were upset about that. Uh, that's because two things. I think one is that they're rated here below the A's. And obviously there's not a lot of good feelings about the A's. Although I'll point out the A's, Mason Miller, Zach Geloff, Ryan Noda, Brent Rooker, like they had some nice stories and they were much better in the second half than the disastrous first half. The thing about the Nationals is we did not expect them to be very good. I think I projected them as the exact same win-loss record as the A's heading into last year, and then the difference ended up being like 17 wins or whatever, right? Uh, but the Nationals just aren't projected that great for next year because they need these young guys to improve, right? They need time. That was my biggest need for them is they need time. They need improvement. They need, you know, C.J. Abrams, Caber Ruiz, Mackenzie Gore to get better. They need Dylan Cruz and James Wood to show up. Um, nobody suggested like, oh, they're great. They're going to make the playoffs this year. No, I, people just didn't like them being behind the A's, which I guess I understand when you look at the difference in win-loss record. That's a tough one. I tell you this, nobody complained the Rockies were in last place. And I think there's going to be an interesting conversation about whether the Rockies have enough pitching to get through the year because Sensatella's hurt, Marquez is hurt. That's going to be a thing. Uh, nobody complained about that one. I'm sorry to say. Was there anybody else you wanted to point out? We come the big ones. Okay, uh, that's going to do it for our show this week. Uh, thank you for listening to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week.